Welcome back to the Lead Worship World podcast. My name's Christian, and I'm part of the team here at multitracks.com. Being one of the hosts on this podcast is a real treat for me, as I get to sit down with absolute legends and heroes in our space. Today's podcast episode is no exception. Jess Sandstrom is an absolute master at what he does. He's the front of house engineer for many artists, including Chris Tomlin, but he's also part of the team at MXU. Jeff, for me, is the perfect balance of technical insight, skill, and also the heart value that wants to see the church become better at what it does. He's a great coach, a great trainer, and has so much wisdom, and we barely skim the surface of all the topics that Jeff could talk about in this episode. But if you've ever wanted to improve the relationship between worship leader, front of house engineer, sound techs, this is the episode. Jeff dives into things like how to run a great sound check, how to be a unified team, how to use tracks in your worship leading from a front of house engineer. And he also tells us the things that wind up front of house engineers like nothing else. Enjoy this episode with Jeff Sandstrom from MXU. Well, Jeff Sandstrom, thank you so much for being on the podcast for Multitracks. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Christian. It's going to be great. This is fun. We get to do this the other way around. I got to be a guest on the podcast that you host, and now I get to ask you some questions back in return. That's right. My only my only fear is that on our podcast, you sounded like an incredibly well-resourced, intelligent <laughs> expert. And I don't think that I'm going to be able to give your audience the same, but I'll do my best. My fear is on your podcast, it sounded great because you know how to mix a podcast. <laughs> on our end, I have to send it off to somebody that's going to help me do that. And he's great. That's yeah. funny. Well, Jeff, we got to hang out at the MHU headquarters recently in Knoxville, at Tennessee. Yeah. Um, got to meet you and the team and hear some of your story, but more impressively, your heart behind what you get to do. And we knew that week that we'd love to have you as a guest on our podcast here. So for anybody that doesn't know you, uh, can you tell us who you are, what you do, and kind of like the 30,000 view of your story so far? Sure. So my name is Jeff Sandstrom, and I'm one of the co-founders of MXU, and we'll get into all that later. But if we rewind a lot of years, um, I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor, and before they called them worship leaders, he was the minister of music at our yeah, church. Okay. And uh, so we, it was a pretty traditional experience, piano and organ and choir. So my dad was the choir director and music director. And so I grew up singing in church and singing with my family and surrounded by church music. And so music was always a part of my life. I went to college to study music at the University of Michigan. Okay. And for, for anybody who's heard my story before, I was, I was actually a trumpet major. Nice. with designs on being a symphony musician. And okay. the problem is when you sign up for programs like that, they don't really tell you that there aren't any jobs in the industry. <laughs> it's a highly competitive <laughs> world. And so I got to about the end of my sophomore year and friends of mine who were older than me, who could play circles around me, were getting out of school, not getting jobs in orchestras. Right. And so I thought, you know, I need to maybe find another area of interest in music where I could make a living. So Michigan at the time had just started a music technology program. They had built a big recording studio. And so I took a couple of recording classes and kind of got bitten by the production bug there. So I, I didn't change my major because it was I was too far into it for a reboot. So yeah. I graduated with my performance degree, but moved to Atlanta after college with the hopes of working in recording studios. So I okay. spent several years in the studio world in Atlanta, working for a studio that primarily produced uh, custom records for worship artists, for okay. you know people who would go around to churches and sing their music and have a product to sell out of their trunk. So yeah. it, was, it was interesting how my history in the church and my love for music sort of converged in this yeah. production experience, being able to help people make make their music. But it was also at the same time when North Point Community Church in Atlanta was just beginning. And so Andy Stanley yep. and, and his ministry was just starting to explode in Atlanta. So all of the music that was recorded for their kids' ministry was recorded at the studio where I was working. So I got to know North Point. I got to know some of those folks and got introduced to a whole new way of doing church. Right. You know, my wife and I were married uh, shortly thereafter, and you know, one of the pastors at North Point married us. You know, we were a part of 
North Point before the building was built. And so just to see how God was at hand the whole time in just sort of placing me in strategic situations where I could express my love for music and production, but also yeah. be involved in the local church at the same time was, was incredible. So I was, I was happy in the studio and had started producing a series of albums for Integrity Music. Okay. Um, if anybody's familiar with the Shout Praises Kids series yes. of albums, yep. I was the one who produced all of those oh, and no was just kind of living the studio life. And yep. through North Point, met some of the Passion folks okay. and got involved in production for Passion Conferences. And this was starting about 2005. Okay. So 2005, six, the conference was in Nashville. And then in 2007, they were in Atlanta. And it was the first time that they had uh, the main arena and then a secondary room, kind of a, a B room for overflow. So they asked me to mix for the overflow space. Okay. And so other, other than mixing at church and yep. for events at North Point, um, it was the biggest thing I had been asked to do in terms of live sound. And so I got connected there and through that met Chris Tomlin and some of the other passion music artists. So one thing led to another. And Chris's front of house engineer at the time had just been hired to work at the Grand Ole Opry as an in-house engineer. Wow. So Chris was without a front of house guy. Okay. So he asked me if I'd be willing to come in and take his place and, and go out with them on tour. And I said, no, you know, my daughter was nine months old at the time and I was doing fine in the studio. So I said, you know, thanks, but no thanks. And he said, well, would you come and fill in for some dates that we already have booked until okay. we find somebody? So I said, yes. And then nine and a half years later, we finally <laughs> found somebody. So I was, I was with Chris for almost 10 years from 2007 wow. through 2016. And it was honestly the, the highlight of my career you know, to that point, for sure. Uh, traveling the world with Chris, being a part of his ministry and his mission, really, for yeah. writing songs that give people voice to worship and being in churches all over the world, literally 30 countries and over 800 concerts, and just seeing, really, worship music bring people to life, literally. And it was just so impactful for me, and not only my heart for music and production, but developed in me a real heart for the church and church teams. And so that led to coming off the road with Chris and helping to found MXU, which is a company focused on building healthy church teams through technical training, as well as tools for uh, leadership and yep. team building and volunteer recruitment and retention and training. And um, really, we're, we're focused on helping church teams be the healthiest version of themselves they can possibly be, both through technical excellence yep. based on what we do, but then in leadership and community based on who we are. So um, that's it's really an honor for me to to serve with the folks at MXU. And honestly, when you guys were at the headquarters last month recording some videos on multitracks and playback, I was just it was just great for me to see how our hearts for the church yeah. sort of intersect and just being partnered with a company like Multitracks in helping serve the church is just an honor for us. So anyway, that's that's a lot that's of story, right. but that's my story so far. That's a great introduction. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, we we love here at Multitracks.com, we love MXU, we love the heart behind what you're doing, not just to make people more excellent in their craft, but just the leadership and health and the values behind why we do what we do uh, is, is incredible and a unique blend, if I'm honest, often in our space, which we really loved. Uh, you passed over a story there as you're explaining the introduction to Chris Tomlin, which I think I've heard you tell elsewhere. Am I right in thinking you were mixing at an event and him and his band were sat behind you? Yeah. So after that 2007 Passion Conference, Passion hosted an event for college leaders at North Point called right. Thirsty. Okay. So it was David Crowder, Charlie Hall, Matt Redman, and Chris Tomlin. They were yep. the four sort of six steps music artists at the time. And so it was during Charlie Hall's set, Chris and his band were sitting right behind me in front of house. No and after the, after the set is when he came up and said, hey, I've never heard Charlie sound like that. What are you doing for the rest of your life? Basically. So that was, that was when the official ask uh, happened. Brilliant. And that's when I told him no, and nine and a half years later, he <laughs> took it for took it for an answer. 
It's brilliant. I love it. What a great story. It's so cool. We have recently had Matt Redman in the office here. Yeah. I think we have Chris Tomlin in when you guys come through Austin, uh, hopefully at the end of the month on tour. And I got to sit in uh, locally at Crowder's set here uh, on a um, Toby Mac tour just last weekend. Um, so all oh, incredible guys. So very, very excited. So Jeff, that's, what other experiences great. on your resume? Obviously you spent a large chunk of your time with Chris Tomlin. Is it just Chris that you worked with or were there other artists? And I've worked sporadically with other artists. Um, most recently, I guess, 2019, I spent most of the year with Lauren Daigle. Yes. And then before that, did several tours with Stephen Curtis Chapman. Yeah. And occasionally filled in for Matt Redman. Yeah. Various conferences and other events. And then in terms of just events, I've mixed every year for the Orange Conference in Atlanta, which is right. a, a conference for family ministry leaders. And then... I mix at my church once a month as a volunteer and kind of lead some of those guys through some training and helping helping my church team get better. So yeah, you know, it was funny because initially the studio side of my life was about 80% and then 20% live basically right. through church. And then yeah. through those years with Chris, the scale kind of flipped so that it was 80-20 yeah. the other way. So I still occasionally get to do some studio mixing and and love that world as well. But, you know, live event production and live concert mixing is kind of where the bulk of my experience has been. And then now with MXU, obviously, you know, creating a, an online library of training videos is yeah. kind of occupying most of my time, which is definitely fun in its own right as well. So I get to do what I love to do and what God has gifted me to do. And it's, it's, it's a huge blessing. I think one of the things that I love watching are people in their sweet spot that are not only super mm. gifted at what they get to do, but have the ability to communicate that gifting to others and training. And you would be right up there in, in the names that come to mind when I articulate that. And I've got to dig into your platform and see a lot of your training content, but also in person as we were able to chat. And again, unique gifting and an absolute gift to the Well, chat. I would say the same is true for you, for sure, because seeing you communicate about playback and multitracks.com, I was blown away. So uh, we can... Uh, we'll agree we can, on that one. I think mine is mainly yeah. accent-based. They rule me out just for the accent, if I'm honest, <laughs> Jeff. That's what it is. So I want to ask some questions specifically now. Um, now people have got an understanding of the wealth of background and experience you get to draw from. Uh, I want to talk a little bit around the relationship between the front of house engineers and worship leaders and bands. Mm. Um, and the majority of the audience here on this podcast will be worship leaders, music directors, and musicians. Yeah. And it's probably not unfair to say that that relationship between your side of the stage and my side of the stage isn't always healthy and isn't always excellent. Uh, and yeah. so I guess my question is, what are the common threads or qualities between the times when you see that done really well between those two groups of people? And how can we best foster a healthy relationship between our technicians and our musicians? Yeah. So anybody who has listened to me before or listens to our podcast or seen me speak at a conference knows that this is a topic that is dear to my heart and that I'm very passionate about because I really, you know, in the years with Chris, we would play in a lot of churches. And mm -hmm. over the course of that time, I would see that, you know, a couple of things. <clears throat> As churches really tried to raise the bar for production quality, yeah. I feel like production teams were sometimes treated as an extension of the facilities team, as just right. purely technicians. Yeah. Or if they were executing really well at a high level, it was easy for them to become spiritually disconnected from everything that was going on. Because, right. you know, if if the role was to basically follow this cue sheet in planning center and not miss yeah. a cue and, yeah. you know, make sure that everything is perfect, it was too easy for team's identity to be based around that idea of perfection. Wow. And, you know, to lead a team of volunteers and expect them to never miss a cue is really misguided because if you've got people serving with you who run an accountant agency during the week or are an insurance salesperson or a school teacher or a dentist, yeah. you know, they spend maybe three or four hours a month around right. production gear and you're expecting yeah. them to execute at such a high level. So yeah. the pressure is really high, you know, the expectation is high. And so there's a lot of just burnout and, yeah. you know, distaste for, 
serving in production. And so it, it got to a point where I, I kind of felt like, you know, production teams were some of the most spiritually vulnerable people on campus because they weren't able to really engage because they were spending so much time twisting knobs and pushing faders yeah. and not missing a cue that they would risk missing what God had for them in those moments. Wow. So it really became kind of a, a, a passion of mine to try to bridge the gap between the booth and the stage so that yeah. we can partner with our worship team so that it's not two different teams. It's not yeah. us and them. It's not worship and production. It's one team that's tasked with leading our people into taking a step toward God or what he has for them in this event or service or weekend or series or whatever. And so, you know, I think the teams that do that well are teams that understand that core principle that we're one team serving the same vision and the same mission toward the yeah. same goal. And so for worship leaders, I would, man, I would just encourage everybody who's a worship leader to cast that vision to your production team that you are way more than just a technical extension of what we're doing, yeah. but that you're just as important as the person downstage center with the microphone. Yeah. Because you as the production folks are really the only ones who can communicate what we're trying to bring to the people. You're the conduit through which anything we're doing on stage is getting through the PA and on the screens and to the broadcast and yeah. to the web. So, yeah. you know, to really kind of raise the bar for the uh, importance of their role. You know, it is a, a higher calling role than just pushing buttons yeah. and twisting knobs. And so, you know, I think that that would be a place to start in terms of how to make it better. And then for the teams who are struggling with that, you know, I think there's, there's an identity piece that really comes into play a lot of the times, you know, we've, I'm sure you've talked a lot to worship leaders about their identity yeah. and how it's easy to get that sideways when Absolutely. you're on stage with a microphone, yeah. you know? And so I, I feel like for production teams, it's too easy for our identity to be tied up in our skill. Right. And I'll speak from just the front of house engineer yeah. mindset, because I know yeah. some of your worship leaders have probably come across this where you know, we sort of, you know, put up stanchions around our console and we build a sandbox around our skill. And yeah. it's like, no, I'm the only one who knows how to do this. There's this sort of stiff arm mentality of, yeah. you know, this is my world and I know what I'm doing. I'm the technician. You guys are over there. And there's this, the us and them mentality isn't just from the stage to the booth. It's from the booth to the stage too. Right. And so I think for an engineer to be humble enough to realize that, your identity is not based in how good you are at mixing. It's based in who God says you are as yeah. a child of his. And to really, you know, to see your skill as an extension of who God says you are, but it's not the basis of who God says you are. And to be open-handed, you know, I think yeah. the best teams are the ones who are led by people who are one, worshiping authentically, and two, are open-handed with what they know because yeah. everything I know is rented from someone else. I mean, right, it was, yeah. it was passed on to me. It was, yeah. I mean, physics is not only a good idea, it's the law. And so <laughs> there are only, there are only a limited number of things that EQ and compression and dynamics and, you know, gain structure and all of those things. It's like, there are some principles that are fixed that I yeah. didn't invent that I'm utilizing to leverage toward a good experience for the audience through the yeah. PA but I don't own any of it, you know? And so for me, I have to be willing to obviously build trust with the worship team yeah. and let them know that maybe I don't know everything about what I'm doing to collaborate with them and cooperate so that we can determine as a team, what's the best expression of what we're trying to do from the stage through the PA, but then also to be able to expand the team you know, being open-handed with my knowledge is the only way to include and recruit and retain any other yep. people to, yep. to help me. So I have to be open-handed and humble in my approach. Otherwise, nobody's going to want to join me. How does that prepare me for what God has for me in the future? I, I want to have a replace myself mentality, not so yep. that I can work myself out of a job, but so that I can tee others up for success and prepare me for what God has for me next. Yeah. So that's a long answer to a simple question, but it's a complicated right. topic. I think, you know, there's a lot of times that both 
both the worship side and the production side get it wrong. Yeah. And I think there's a lot we can do to get it right. So we could talk for hours about this very thing. That's great. Really, really well put. There's so much that you said there that's absolute gold. I love the whole idea about being authentic. uh, And we used to say this a lot in our church that actually our front of house engineers saw our band at our best and our worst. They saw when we were (laughs) most authentic. They saw when we were having great relationship. They saw us flick that switch between being real and then sometimes having to just get it done. Uh, And they would call us on that, call us up to being better versions of ourselves because they saw all sides and all facets of who we did. What are some of the things that worship leaders and musicians do that front of house engineers absolutely hate? Yeah, so I think there's, it's funny, I think one thing that's part of this is to guard yourself against making always and never statements. And so I'm going to say some of these um, (laughs) with a grain of salt because, you know, it's too easy for us to say, oh, so-and-so is always late, so they hold up rehearsal. So-and-so is always out of tune. So-and-so is always just has terrible mic technique or whatever. So all that said, there are a few things that are frustrating for our side. One is... Just timeliness. I think, you know, for a worship leader, especially if you're leading maybe one staff person with a bunch of volunteers, you know, to be strategic about the rehearsal process, to have a clear idea of what a sound check and a rehearsal should look like so that we're not wasting each other's time. I heard David Crowder once at a breakout session at a conference and somebody asked him, man, I'm a young worship leader. I would love to be in a position of you know, more platform and maybe influence and to be where you are someday. So what's the one thing you would say to a young worship leader in terms of how to get better? And David Crowder, without hesitation, said, tune your guitar. (laughs) And I think, you know, it's just a simple thing, but it's like having gear that's well-maintained and being intentional about your playing. Yeah, There's nothing better to help front of house than to have a source that's good. You know, I can put a $20,000 microphone in front of a broken snare drum. And all I have is a great capture of a broken snare. It it doesn't make the drum itself sound better. So have drums that are properly tuned, tune your guitar, talk to your players about how our stage is not your personal practice room. Yes. You know, what, what I would love to see is teams coming to the stage with parts that they've worked out on their own so that our rehearsal is actually putting our preparation together. Yep. In, in a way that we can serve the arrangement well and serve the song well, instead of, oh, I've got to learn this this part, or I've got to make sure I've got these chords under my fingers. It's like, yep. man, success for our team is not just that everybody plays all the right notes at the right time, and we have sort of three guitars playing first position chords, you know, according to the chart. It's like, yep. no, let's let's have distinctiveness in our tone. So the guitar one and guitar two are actually two different parts. Yep. You know, our drummer is actually able to play to the room so that you know, cymbal bleed doesn't just take over every single microphone, but maybe you have to feather the cymbals a little bit because your room is smaller and your stage can't accommodate the same SPL that you can get from an arena show or, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So that's a couple things. I think there's a flip side of that, though, because there are things that we do that annoy the worship team or that get in the way okay. of the worship team. So I would say, you know, if you're a worship leader who's le- also leading production, yeah then I would say find ways to communicate to your production team how to be efficient. There's nothing worse than for the worship team to walk into rehearsal and see the production team scrambling around the stage like a bunch of headless chickens trying to get everything plugged in. So we have to have systems in place technically so that we're ready for the band when they walk in so that we can actually greet them when they walk in the door and we can establish community and fellowship and relationship because it's only through trust over time and through good relationships that we can build that one team mentality that I was talking about a minute ago. So, you know, being prepared technically for what the band's about to do and for the band to be efficient in how they approach things. I think it's, it's, everything is, is a two way street and it's two sides of the coin. It's great. I, I remember from reflecting from my journey, I was, worship leading in small local church, growing local church, mid-size, and then stumbled into the UK festival circuit leading in youth venues. So I was flip-flopping between churches of 
50 to 200 and then venues of 1,000 to 4,000. And I would be like local church and then away in the local church and back. And we were at this season of life where we were doing okay with our musicality. We were doing well with our worship leading. We were a great team uh, environment. We learned so much when we arrived on those bigger platforms from the seasoned professional front of house engineers, monitor engineers who had the time to communicate well with us, but also just helped us to learn so much. And I think there is so much gold that's often missed from not having that conversation where we Mm -hmm. assume as a band and as musicians that we're the authority on how our guitar should sound or how our drum kit should be set up. Or like you mentioned, the tonal differences between guitars where when we actually start to have that conversation, my goodness, we get to be that one team and really learn really well from each other. That's good. And I think, you know, just something very practical. I would anybody who's been around MXU has heard us say this a bunch. I think, just from a practical standpoint, there are three distinct processes for what I would call rehearsal. I mean, okay. there's there's line check, yes. there's sound check, and there's rehearsal. Okay, talk and, to me about that, because that's where the yeah. tension so often comes from on a Sunday morning it with is. our musicians, is that, right. is it rehearsal, is it sound check, is it line check, how do we do that well? And often the success of that time dictates so much that happens throughout the rest of the service. Yes, so line check happens before the band is there. So it is a technical only experience. So it's when the production team can go through and make sure that everything is patched properly, that there's no hums and buzzes in the system, that DIs and microphones are showing up where they should on the console. So that happens before the band walks in. So that when the band does come in, we can, like I said, we can greet them at the door. We can, you know, have a little bit of community building and fellowship. And we know that when they plug their gear in, it's going to show up in the right place on the console. Okay. So then sound check is when the band and the monitor engineer or front of house engineer running monitors, whichever the case may be, that's yeah. when we can start getting levels to the band. And we basically go quickly instrument by instrument. It's not everybody's chance to stand there and noodle. It's okay. <laughs> we're going to start with drums and now let's yeah. add bass. Let's add keys. Let's add guitar. And everybody has a chance to make sure that their levels that they're able to hear and In terms of monitors, I would say, you know, in this process, we can tweak and tweak and tweak all day long to get the perfect album mix in our ears. But if time is of the essence, what you need as a musician is a pitch reference and a time reference and some of yourself. So let's not worry so much about all the nuances of how the bottom snare mic sounds in my ears. Let's just get things up and running quickly so that I have a reference for time, pitch, and myself. And then we can make tweaks along the way. So once the band is set, then we move to rehearsal, which is when production hands over the reins to the band to say, now it's your time to run through the set, maybe practice a transition, maybe yeah. run through the song. But most of the most of the tone shaping and the final sort of mix tweaks happen for me during that time. So okay. the band has control. There's this sort of handover from yeah. the technical side to the musical side. And the problem is and people have heard me say this before, many teams, line check during sound check, sound yeah. check during rehearsal, and then rehearse during the first service. <laughs> right, yeah. And so think about that for a second. Okay. Because everybody's guilty of this at some point. If we are one team who's tasked with leading people in worship and helping yeah. them take a step in their faith, then how dare we shortchange the people who happen to come at nine o'clock Right. Because we don't have our act together. Yeah. So if if you leave your first service thinking, okay, that was a good run through, now we're ready for the 11. Yeah. Man, that's that's just irresponsible. And so we have to find a way to ratchet back our timing and our approach. Now, if you don't have a midweek rehearsal and all of this has to happen on Sunday morning, then you're going to have some work to do. There's going to have to be a way to find efficiencies in your system, in your workflow. So that line check can somehow be just a quick punch through of every input and output just to make sure we have stuff showing up where we are. And then sound check needs to be, we're starting from a template file that everybody's levels are pretty much the same as they were last time. So we're just doing a quick double check of gain structure and of making sure everybody has what they need so that we can spend most of our time rehearsing because it's just unfair to the church, to the people, to the process for us to not bring our best yeah. to the first service. 
So that's my soapbox. That's perfectly put. Well done, Jeff. (laughs) And it's so true. So let me ask you this question. Uh, Let's imagine I'm a worship leader in a local church, mid-sized. Maybe I'm the only paid person on the creative worship side of the church. I have some volunteers uh, and I'm not blessed with someone like yourself who's had formal training, who's found themselves Mm -hmm. serving in local church. Talk to me about the resources that you guys provide at MXU that I could tap into as a worship leader to put into the hands of those volunteers. And where would they start? And what would be the structural foundations that I should be supplying to those guys that I want to see grow in their craft? Yeah, so thanks for the MXU shout out. We've we've done a lot of work to build resources for this very thing. So, you know, for anybody who's interested, they can go to getmxu.com and see a preview of a bunch of stuff. But basically we've created a platform. It's not it's not just YouTube for production. I don't right. want people to think that it's just a video library. Excellent. But there is a library of, you know, over 600 videos and growing for audio, video, lighting, leadership, you know, all aspects of production uh, for people to get practical training. We have things broken out topically. You can search keywords and find videos on any topic in production. We also have courses and playlists that are built to provide people an on-ramp. So if you're onboarding a new volunteer, we have basically one-on-one level content where you can bring people along as a team lead. You can assign playlists and videos to your team, monitor their progress, and nudge them along the way so that if they've completed X number of videos, then, okay, let's, let's go have a coffee and talk about what you've learned. Or maybe you're ready to start shadowing someone. And, you know, we're, we're here to kind of help automate some of the volunteer onboarding process for you so that as a leader, you feel like you've got a partner in that process. Cause there's, you know, it's a lot to manage. I mean, to take someone from zero to 60, you know, I, I think about what it would actually take to teach someone who has no idea about audio to be able to mix a Sunday morning service. And it's really daunting. So we've tried to take some of that off your plate. So everything from gain structure and what is sound and the fundamentals of audio all the way through, you know, compression EQ, multiband compression, parallel mixing, like all of the things that are advanced concepts, we have something for everybody. And the same is true for running a camera, uh, operating graphics, running ProPresenter. Obviously, how to use tracks with multitracks.com. We've got some videos coming about that too. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's a great resource. Um, and so that's what I'm focusing on now is continuing to build content and for our team to build tools that go beyond just a content library, but to actually provide team leaders, uh, whether it's a production TD yeah. at a high functioning multi-campus church, or it's a worship leader who's the only paid staff person, you know, to provide... Yeah a way for teams to have the tooling they need for, for volunteers to get better. I am a big fan of what you're doing at MXU. Um, I've had the privilege of digging into the platform and having a look at it, but also speaking to real life customers that use your platform. And you're so true when you say there are small churches with maybe under-resourced that are learning so much from the platform, but there's also churches of really impressive size that are finding resources and training and equipping. And I think you've done a great job of putting stuff at both ends, maybe of that spectrum where wherever your skill set is or your experience level is, there's so much to gain from that platform. Um, Well, thanks. One of the features that we've added recently that I'm most excited about is for a larger team to be able to upload their own content to the platform. So that if you have if you have training that needs to be done around a specific workflow to your pieces of gear, right. you can record a video of yourself presenting that. And it's basically, you're able to exponentially broaden the scope of the reach of that training process because we'll host that video for you yeah. under your login on our platform. And it's just a way for you to extend. And it doesn't have to be training. It could be yeah. a devotional thought or an right. encouraging word or a welcome message to a new volunteer. Yeah. Whatever video you want from you know just something quick and dirty on your iPhone to a fully yeah. produced high-res video, we'll, we'll host it for you. So That's great. And there are brilliant voices all over uh, your content of all kinds of different levels of, of authority and experience. And it really is both educational, but a great pastoral tool uh, for that onboarding. You mentioned it, like you've watched this series of videos, let's sit down, have a coffee, discuss what you learned about it. An incredible tool to have in there. 
I dug into some of the content and was obviously drawn to conversations you had around using tracks in church. No surprise because of my role and my background here. (laughs) So I want to ask you about that because, again, from my experience, prior to multitracks.com, I'd arrive at different venues and maybe had a different response from the technicians around bands using tracks, not using tracks, the number of tracks, the number of stems. So what are some best practices for mixing with stems and with tracks? And how do you do that in your context? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things. One, if you're not familiar with using tracks, if you're not experienced with it, I would start with making sure everybody is comfortable playing with a click. Yes. And, you know, maybe not necessarily playing along to everything that every stem that multitracks.com has to offer. Absolutely. In other words, it could be overwhelming. Yeah. And so what I love about multitracks.com is the ability to scale that. So right. you don't have to necessarily download the entire song because a lot of churches might struggle with, yeah. okay, now what do I play if I'm hearing all these parts that Absolutely. you know are, are part of the song? Like, what if we don't want it to sound like the record because it doesn't really authentically represent what we're able to do? There's There's all kinds of things there. So first you have to decide what you're going to use. But then from a mixing standpoint, I would say if you have the capability to have an interface that supports multi-channel outputs to try to break up some of the stems to give your engineer more control over specific parts. So I would start by maybe putting anything percussive, whether it's drums or loops, put the percussive stuff on a pair of tracks, put maybe synths and pads and strings on another pair of tracks, and then maybe background vocals or any supporting vocal ideas on a third. So if you have an eight channel interface, you could have yep. click and guide, yep. click and guide, and then three stereo pairs. You know, if you have a four channel interface, you could have, yep. you know, click and guide and, and a stereo pair. But the idea is to break it out a little bit so that you have separate control. But then I would say to a worship leader, if you're restricted to just a pair of channels and everything's mm-hmm. coming out stereo, go out to front of house and sit with your engineer and listen. Right. Because what sounds great in your headphone mix when you're preparing your session yes. may not sound the same through your PA. Okay. So you may have to make strategic choices about EQ or maybe this part just level wise is taking yeah. over the low mid range because this cello line in, you know, whatever song is just yeah. overwhelming our room right now. So and, and that's another great way to build this relational capital with your front yeah. of house engineer. To go, hey, Jim, what are you hearing? This is what I think we should do, but how does this sound to you? And how's this going to work with our drums? Or how's this going to fit with our vocals? Yeah. You know, and to really kind of be strategic about crafting your arrangement within multitracks to translate properly through your PA. In fact, I, I've had to do this over the years with Matt Gilder, who's Chris Tomlin's music director. Right. You know, he'll prepare his sessions. Um, he uses Ableton. Yep. And so he'll prepare his Ableton session and then he'll ask me during rehearsals, hey, how's this hitting you? What what yep. does this do? And even on this current tour, there have been times where I've said, hey, you know, do you have independent control of the tambourine? Because I like what the percussion is doing, right. but the transients of the tambourine are just taken yep. over. So when I push up the fader, the tambourine is just a little too much. So can you bring that back 3 dB? And he's able yep. to accommodate that very easily because yep. we've got a trust relationship, first of all, we communicate well, but then he knows that I'm the only one who's able to hear what's going on in the PA. So he has to trust that I'm able to kind of help translate what they're doing on stage and make it the best for the audience. We were at an event called New Wine in England. We were leading in the Thirst venue, which is one of the youth venues. We were quite track heavy because we were trying to be the English answer to Hillsong Young and Free, I think at the time. Um, and we arrived, <laughs> we arrived in our venue and we were greeted by a front of house engineer who was new to us, uh, a guy called Adam Dixon. Uh, and he had been Hillsong trained and was at Hillsong London. And I think now mixes with Martin Smith and a bunch of other people uh, on tour. Uh, Adam yeah. was the first front of house engineer who came down to us on the stage and said, hey, can we take time to get inside your Ableton session? I was using Ableton back then. Since then, playback's caught up and the team here will forgive me for saying that. But I was using Ableton back then and we got inside the session and looked at the stems and started to do some leveling inside and splitting and rooting. And I learned so much. Here I am, this Ableton trainer, putting resources around the world, but learned so much from Adam's approach to running tracks and and grouping tracks. And I 
just echo everything you said, that conversational. We became really great friends because of the way we worked together in the room and built that. And it's probably one of the highlights of my time of leading worship is what God did in that room. The relational part of that wasn't missed on me. The fact that we're connected yeah. and working well as a team, I think, provided a great platform for, for all of so that good. to happen, which is really cool. For people who are using playback, I yeah. would say, you know, playback may be a resource that is new to your production team. Right. So as a worship leader, if you're introducing playback, please sit with your front of house guy or gal yeah. and give them some training. You know, the pad player and yeah. other features that are just so essential to the capabilities of playback. It's like, man, we all need to know how to leverage this and how to use yeah. it most effectively. So if you're using pad player, let's let's talk about how we can rehearse a transition so that we're all on the same page in terms of, you know, your front of house engineer knowing what's coming and how to ride the level of that pad so that that transition, that host moment, that prayer, whatever yeah. it is, happens as seamlessly as possible. You know, again, there's so much capability with the software. And so for people who are maybe reluctant to jump in with using tracks because yeah. they think it might be inauthentic or why should we do that because we can't play that on stage yeah. or whatever, just know every band everywhere that you go and see live is using playback tracks of some kind. Absolutely. So it's not a, uh, a spiritual miss or a uh, inauthentic whatever <laughs> yeah. because you, you consider using tracks. It's a part of our music culture these days so don't be afraid to jump in just you right. know make sure to do it strategically jeff i've got one more question that i want to get your advice and your take on because you hinted at it earlier so i want to talk a little bit around in-ear monitors and a little bit around okay. mix in, in people's heads so i know as someone who transitioned from i'm probably old enough to have played with wedges right and then mm -hmm. transit to in-ear monitors that was a real learning curve and transition for me mainly around being comfortable and getting comfortable enough that I felt like I was still worship leading and I could hear what I needed to hear. Uh, and you had maybe a hot take just a minute ago on what a worship team would need in their ears. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about that. How can someone transition to getting comfortable within their monitors? Are there tips? Are there tricks? Are there things that they can do? Are there things that they shouldn't do as they get around that, that whole idea? And how do we approach that well? Yeah. So there's a couple of best practices. One, hearing health is really important. So yep. I would encourage people who are venturing into in-ears to let's do a few things so that we don't have to listen with one ear out. Right. Because when we take an ear out, we're changing the balance in our inner ear and we're prone to overcompensating with the volume that has the ear in. Yes. And so you might be listening too loudly and doing damage to your eardrum. So I'm smiling and nodding along while wearing just one ear monitor. I don't know if you notice, but I'll get away with it for this one. <laughs> so if, if you struggle because you can't hear yeah. the sound of the room and you yeah. don't like hearing this, just the sound in your own head, yeah. that is a, a learned skill. Okay. So one thing that we can do to help with that is to add some audience mics, to add right. some some ambience mics yeah. to the input list so that, you know, and I would say place those kind of directly under the PA on the stage pointing toward the audience so you can yeah. hear the audience singing along, you can hear the ambience of the room, you can hear some audience response. And you basically dial that into your inner mix so that you yeah. don't feel like you're just sort of being sucked into the sound of your own head. Right. And then for the mix itself, I would say, you know, like I said before, we need a reference for time. That could be hi-hat, that could be click, yeah. that could be drums, whatever the case may be. We need a time reference, a pitch reference, and then a little more of yourself. And so starting out with the band, I would say maybe my sends to Worship Leaders Mix is essential inputs at minus 20. His inputs, whether it's an acoustic or a piano or an electric guitar, is maybe minus 10, and then right. his vocal. And that's a, a starting point. And then right. you can tweak from there. And I would say to a person who's trying to get levels right in people's ears, if they keep asking for more of something, yeah. my default would be to say, in my mind, what can I give them less of to make it sound like they're getting more of what they want? Yeah. Because if you're just turning it up and turning it up and turning it up, you're going to run out of headroom eventually, and you yeah. run the risk of it being too loud. So... If their overall level is fine and they just need more of something, I would first ask, what can I give them less of to make it sound like they're getting more of that thing? And then in addition to audience mics and to get some ambience, then I would also make sure that you have the ability to have some reverb or some kind of you know space yeah. 
yeah. especially with vocals, so that it sounds like they're in a space rather than just sort of in a box. sealed underwater yeah. in your ears. Yeah. I think that was a big transition for me. Yeah, perfectly put. And again, you guys have got great resources on in-ear mixing uh, on the platform as well. Um, Jeff, cheeky question. There are times when I've stood on stage as a worship leader and I've asked my monitor engineer or front of house engineer if it's the same to do something to the mix. And then I've gone, yep, that sounds great. And inside I've wondered if they've actually done anything at all. Have you ever been guilty of doing that? <laughs> I'm going to have to plead the fifth on that. <laughs> I think I, I, I know people who have done that. Let me just say that. <laughs> they lean over and make it look like they're turning a knob and they're not really doing anything. Yeah. Monitor engineer mixers are... Yeah. Half technicians, half psychologists. I mean, it really <laughs> yes. is like yeah, yeah. somebody once said that talking about music is like dancing about architecture. It's like well, we, we don't have we don't have really good words for yeah. how to express what we hear, what we think, what yeah. we need musically. And especially if you're a worship team that doesn't have a lot of technical knowledge, I can't I can't expect you to say, hey, can I get a little bit less of 2K in my vocal mix? Yeah. Because it's a little bright, yeah. right? So yeah. it's like if if the monitor engineer is having to translate terms like muddy, harsh, woofy, thumpy, dark, bright, it's like, what do those things mean? So we need to, as a team, come up with a glossary of, okay, when you say harsh, yeah. This is what this means. And we can all agree that harsh means X, you know, yeah. because some people might think harsh is different than those other words. So coming up with a lexicon of verbiage, um, because otherwise, you know, if, if artists are talking in more esoteric terms, the engineer might think they're asking me to make their mix sound more yellow. And I don't know how to do that. You know, so <laughs> it's a, it's a dance. So I think as an engineer, you have to sort of develop uh, an understanding of people's preferences yeah. and an understanding of how to translate what they say into what that means technically. And that takes time. That takes a lot of reps. Final question from me. A lot of our conversations being around preparation, working well as a team, digging and training. What about the retrospective side of learning when you've mixed a Sunday from your experience? Does it end there or have the great teams you've seen gone further to reflect on what worked, what didn't work? And uh, do you have your mix critiqued? That's a great question. So I think in high functioning teams, in teams yeah. that execute really well, there's a danger in overanalyzing and over-reviewing and right. just getting caught up in, okay, yeah, but that went wrong and that went wrong and right. that went wrong and that went wrong. So yeah. one of the best things that I was a part of in evaluation meetings around North Point was they were getting caught up. They felt themselves getting caught up in the over-critiquing mindset. Okay. So one day we changed the modality altogether and said, okay, from now on, we're going to evaluate in terms of a different filter. So okay. just instead of using perfection as our filter, you know, there are five core values on the wall. Yeah. So we're going to start our meeting today by saying, okay, who are the people who best exemplified our core values in this service. Wow. And so one of the values was B1. Okay. So who exemplified unity? Who went above and beyond to express care for people? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So the conversation became about celebrating people and celebrating yep. wins rather than just talking about what went wrong. And then the evaluation piece didn't come about from, well, so-and-so missed a cue and we've got to right. fix this and that because yeah. nobody needs to be told they missed a cue. <laughs> right. There's, there's no one that feels worse than the person <laughs> the who person missed the cue. Yeah, absolutely. And they're, they're going to do their best to never do that again. Yeah. You don't have to harp on that. So our, our filter changed to, okay, if we had more time, more resources, more people, what would we have done differently? Right. And so it wasn't necessarily a negative just beat down session. Yeah. It was, okay, if we had an opportunity to do this again and had all the resources we could imagine, what would we do differently? And that helped just shape the conversation. So that, that's, that's one way to do it more healthfully. Yeah. But I think the other thing that I would point out is the only way to evaluate is if you have a measurable target in the first place. Right. 
I think too many times vision is not communicated yeah. effectively. And then you walk away from a service or an event thinking that just didn't go quite right, but nobody knows why. So then you start evaluating and beating up, you know, so-and-so missed this transition. This slide wasn't on time. This guitar was out of tune, this and that yeah. and that. Well, wait, did you have something worth pointing everybody to in the first place? Mm -hmm. Because if there's a bullseye on the target, then that's the best way that we can celebrate as a team when we hit it. And it's the only way that we can evaluate it when we don't. Yeah. So if we're missing the target, let's make sure that it's communicated clearly in the first place. Because then we can say, okay, you know, to the new pro presenter op, you know, our vision for your role is that we're actually advancing the slides a little early so that people's brains have a chance to get yes. the lyric in their head before they have to sing because yeah. we want people to sing along because you're helping us lead worship. Yeah. So these slides, can you see this in this video review? The slides are coming on the screen a little bit late yeah. and that's inhibiting people's opportunity to be able to sing if they don't know the song. So next time, let's advance the slide a little faster, maybe a half a second sooner so that yeah. we can be prepared for that first word that we're about to sing. That, to me, casts vision for the wind completely differently so that she's now looking at her role as, hey, I get to lead people. Yeah, I'm not just pushing this button. I'm not pushing space bar. I'm leading worship. That's a completely different experience. It is. Beautifully put. I think that whole idea of communicating vision, having something measurable that we can work to, uh, is so valuable. Jeff, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Man, it's been a blast. It. Um, thank you for having me. So much gold, so much wisdom. We will put links in all the usual places to make sure that listeners of this can go and check out more of your content and specifically over at MHU so they can have a look at it. Thank you for being the best sounding guest we've had so far and the best <laughs> microphone choice as well. I wasn't expecting anything less, if I'm honest. But um, Well, thank you. Thanks again for having me. It's been great to chat and I look forward to working with you guys a lot more in the future. Absolutely. Jeff, thank you so much. 